The play lasted 21 seconds. It was interviewing 375 people and copying 1,500 newspaper articles of the 1982 season. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We're produced by Brian Neal and Jack Connell, my musical producer, my son, Sam Brandt. That's the music you hear under us. We are presented, as always, by DraftKings. Special pod for you today. I've got some rants. I know you're waiting to see what I'm going to say about the Packers' failings and, of course, what's going on with Daniel Snyder. Will he be the owner? We're going to do that. I'm going to get to the rants right away in a matter of seconds. I also want to tell you that I'm going to have a special guest today, one of my closest friends who just wrote a book. I was at the Stanford reunion. We were classmates together. He wrote a book called Five Laterals and a Trombone. Those of you who are thinking about Stanford may know what he's talking about. That's a little tease. Five laterals and a trombone. I have to wait about 10 minutes for that. Let me get to my rants. Daniel Snyder. Yeah, I haven't talked to you guys since news broke late last week that he is, okay, let's be clear. There's no announcement that he's going to sell. He has retained Bank of America to pursue potential transactions. And when asked about it, the only comment that we got was they're exploring everything. And listen, I know a lot of people get their hopes up. They don't want Daniel Snyder as owner of the Washington Commanders. They don't want him anywhere near that team. But I'm going to believe it when I see it. And what I mean by that is Daniel Snyder has wrapped his identity around being the owner of the Washington Commanders. Don Venata was on this podcast a couple weeks ago. We were talking about it. We talked about all of this, but we didn't have the news that he was indeed pursuing potential transactions. Okay, the good news for those who don't like him, which is pretty much the entire audience, uh, is that there's a chance he'll be gone completely. And if not, he'll be sharing ownership with others. The bad news, I suppose, is this. This may be nothing, right? It may be using Bank of America to survey the market, come back with a big number, and use that big number ascertained by Bank of America to then go to Bank of America and get financing for a stadium. Because as we know, as we talked about with Don, there's no appetite for public financing in D.C., in Maryland, or Virginia for a new stadium for Daniel Snyder. That's out. So what does he need? He needs financing to build his own stadium. How would he get that? Go to the market, find out a six, five, six, seven billion dollar offer. Go back to Bank of America, said you can lend me that, use the collateral of a sale and we can do that. That's one opportunity. The other thing is maybe he's bringing on minority investors, partners that aren't going to have a controlling interest like he does. And then we look at, okay, who are they going to be? Well, they're going to be a lot more popular than Daniel Snyder. They're going to be minority. They're going to be women. They're going to be someone that he can rely on for the PR aspect of it. So we'll see. I've said all along, he's not going to be voted out. This has to be a coordinated effort to remove him. Maybe it's working as it did with Robert Sarver in the NBA. Maybe it's not. But it sounds like something's happening. Something's brewing. Snyder is getting a message from, pick a name, the commissioner, other owners, sponsors, that maybe it's time to take the money and run. I'm saying 50-50. 50-50 that it's a total sale or a minority sale or, well, 50-50. So on the 150, he's going to sell it. 
On the other 50, it's either a minority sale or some kind of stadium financing venture with Bank of America. You know, if you're going to sell the franchise, maybe you want to use Allen and Company, one of these boutique PE firms. I don't, Bank of America sounds more like a financing thing, but we'll see. I just wanted to comment on that. I want to comment on another team, the Chicago Bears, the assimilating performance of Justin Fields last week. That was electric, and they lost the game. But I've just been studying the Bears since they made the two trades. They made the two trades last week, Robert Quinn to the Eagles, Roquan Smith to the Ravens, and they're paying both of those the majority of their salaries. They're paying Quinn $12 million. While he plays for the Eagles, they're paying Roquan Smith $9 million while he plays for the Bears. Why? they got to pay someone. I looked at their payroll. This is cash. Forget cap. This is cash. Their payroll is about $140 million. Let me repeat. The Bears' payroll is about $140 million. The cap's $208 million. The average NFL payroll is $225 million. The highest payroll is like $280 million, that of the LA Rams, no surprise there. The second lowest franchise is about $170 million, that being the Falcons. So the Bears are far and away, far and away, the lowest paying team in the league. In some ways, they're three and six record. They are getting some bang for their buck, and they have to pay someone. Now, your question should be, well, isn't there minimum spending in the NFL? There is, but it's not good enough. I've talked about this when we talk about the CBA. Teams have to spend a certain amount of cash and cap, but not annually, over a three- or four-year tranche, depending on the years we're looking at. I think we're in a three-year period now. The Bears can and seem to be coasting this year. And that coasting is leading to this extraordinary low payroll where they're only paying their roster $140 million while other teams are paying $270 million. Again, cap is illusory, especially when you have these long period of judging for minimum spending. That's where we are with the Bears. And last thing on the Bears, I call them the trust the process team. My old neighbor, Sam Hinkey, who lived next to me for a while here outside of Philadelphia, he used to say, there's no reward in mediocrity. Just tear it down to the studs. And that's what they've done. The Bears are the ultimate trust the process team. Okay, quick word about my Packers. Things aren't going well. I know it. You know it. All I can say is people are asking, are they going to move to Jordan Love? It's not going to happen soon, but it could happen this year. They've got a murder, murderer's row next three games of the Cowboys, the Titans, and the Eagles. That's going to be tough. After that, are they eliminated? Who knows? The NFC stinks this year. It's going to be hard to find seven playoff teams. But the time is coming when the Packers will no longer have a Hall of Fame quarterback at the helm. That's been 30 years. I repeat, 30 years. No no franchise, no fan base has had that. It's coming. And if they replace Aaron with Jordan Love this year, that renders moot what's going to happen next year. I'll talk on future podcasts about all the contract ramifications. But again, I was wrong. I thought Aaron would not come back to the Packers this year. He did. And it seems like they're heading towards an exit next year. But again, the always the proviso. We're only halfway through the season. Let's see what happens. I know we can't put the dirt on the Packers season yet. At least I won't do that. And a quick last rant that was brought to my attention. Xavier McKinney goes on a bye week and comes back, and he had an ATV accident. He's now been put on uh, NFI. We 
which is non-football illness, non-football injury. That means the lead, the team doesn't have to pay a salary. This is a bad situation. I mean, again, when you worry about players, I always worried most, like in July, right before training camp, that they'd get in trouble. And here it's happening um, to Xavier McKinney on a bye week, an ATV accident. You know, it's like that common saying I said, when you uh, get that phone call as an executive with a team and it's got that unrecognizable number, that's a problem. You know something's up. It's not good. I'm sure they got that call on Xavier McKinney. I hope he's uh, learned his lesson, never going to be in an ATV accident. So, again, Xavier McKinney losing money based on activities during a bye week. Okay. Before we get to our special guest, I want to give you a word from Masterworks. Okay? Think about it. You're a professional athlete, your rookie year, newly minted millionaire. You're young. You're living life to the fullest. But at the same time, you got to think about life after the pros. So many players, I see this all the time, they get washed up because they can't make their money work for them. But a rookie, if they're smart, can get a wealth advisor, a team around them, and they start investing in things they can only dream about, such as multi-million dollar paintings. Listen, this is not just a flex. This is a legit investment. Contemporary art has outpaced the S&P 500. That's the most important stock market index in the world, as you know, for the last 26 years, not by a little but by 131%, when inflation's high, one of the three assets that actually appreciated 17.5% a year is art. So how do you start balling out like these guys without spending millions on art? Well, that's Masterworks. Let's you invest in multi-million dollar works of art from legendary artists like Banksy, Basquiat, and Picasso. They're not NFTs. These divide the paintings into shares so you can invest without needing millions. After that, they wait for the most opportune time to sell. All you get is the best results, like an exit for 21.5% net return at the start of October. Six out of seven paintings, Masterworks has exited, given investors more than 20% net returns. Masterworks has had to acquire and release more art on their platform to meet demand. There's a wait list, but our listeners get priority access from that wait list. You just skip it. You go to masterworks.com, use promo code BOS, masterworks.com. Promo code BOS, masterworks.com, promo code BOS. Get in on these shares of Masterpiece Art. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Also, a word from Sling TV. If you're like me, you love watching live TV. Sometimes you feel like they don't love you back. You can get the TV you love for a price you love. Thanks to our friends at Sling TV. Forget about high prices, all those endless contracts. Sling's the most valuable option when it comes to finding your favorite channels, the best deal for sports news and entertainment. They have the best live TV content all in one place at the lowest price. Now you can follow all the action. Just catch every touchdown every Sunday thanks to NFL Red Zone available on Sling Blue plus Sports Extra. Sling's easy to set up, easy to use. Now you can try it for half off. Just visit sling.com slash DraftKings. Sign up today. Watch every touchdown live every Sunday afternoon with NFL Red Zone on Sling. 
For a limited time, get Sling Blue add-on Sports Extra with NFL Red Zone for half off your first month. Regular price $46. Now it's only $23. That's right. You get the best deal in Red Zone so you can catch all the touchdowns at the lowest price. Sling TV. Visit sling.com slash DraftKings, all caps, to sign up today. All right, let's get to our special guest. It's a rare event. I have one of my best friends in the world on this podcast. We met freshman year. Stanford University, Donner Hall, <laughs> probably that's September, late September, 1978. Yes, I've dated both of us. Um, and we graduated together in May or June, rather, of 1982. Something happened later that year, 1982. Both of us were in Washington, D.C. Uh, at different locations. But, wow. And Tyler Bridges has written a book about that event, which we're about to explain. But Tyler, this is cool. Welcome to my podcast. Good to see you out there. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to, uh, what, 44 years after we met, we're, we're still talking about uh, Stanford football. Yeah, we were just at our reunion, and that's how this idea germinated. Um, it was a reunion, and among the reunion topics was Tyler explaining this book. So let's get to it. Tyler wrote this book, and I'm going to hold up. I'm sure he's got copies all over his house. Five Laterals and a Trombone. For those of you who are listening about a book about Stanford, Five Laterals and Trombone, maybe older people certainly know what that is, younger don't. I'm going to let Tyler explain what this book is about and the genesis of him writing it. So I'm going to give you that blank canvas, Ty. Okay. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Andy. Yeah. So uh, November 20th, 1982 was the 85th version of what's in the Bay Area is known as the big game. It's the Stanford Cal game that uh, is really kind of the Super Bowl for the Bay Area. And in 1982, Stanford was playing for a bowl game and John Elway was playing his last game for Stanford and was playing for the Heisman Trophy uh, needed to beat Cal to have a chance to uh, defeat uh, to win uh, the Heisman over Herschel Walker. And uh, Stanford was shut out in the first half, even with Elway, Stanford couldn't score any, score any points, but then he heated up in the second half. Uh, but then Cal had the lead 20 to 19 with less than a minute left. Stanford was in a do or die situation, fourth and 17 down by a point on its own 13 yard line. Elway dropped back to pass. Uh, had time and was able to throw a pass that no other quarterback other than he could have thrown. First down for Stanford, four plays later, they're in field goal range and kick a field goal. Um, and Elway called timeout just before that field goal, you remember, Andy. So after the field goal, there was only four seconds left. Stanford had won the big game. Everybody's celebrating. I'm celebrating in Washington, D.C., <laughs> listening to the game on the radio. Uh, me and my Stanford buddy friends uh, do a give the axe yell to the cow people and go off and party because Stanford <laughs> won the big game. So all that was left was the kickoff. And uh, that kickoff then becomes really what is the, the craziest, wildest finish ever in the history of college football. You know, it's interesting. A couple of things that no one would understand right now, even people our age, because I, I didn't until you said it. You couldn't watch this game at a remote location. You were in Washington, and you said you went to a, a Stanford event that they were streaming radio. Or yeah, not even listened, streaming. yeah, and that was an amazing thing. You remember back then that we could even yeah. in, in Washington listen to a Bay Area game uh, on the radio. 
And there's no, I mean, if you turned it off, if you had it on TV or whatever, you're saying, did you not even find out about the play and the result until the next morning? Yeah, it wasn't until I picked up the Washington Post the next day. Uh, Let me tell you a quick little story that I learned actually, Andy, at our reunion at Stanford just a couple of weeks ago. A guy came up to me and said that he was a, a Peace Corps volunteer that year in Swaziland. He was a big Stanford football fan. So he had his mother record the game and mail it to him. So it arrives to him a month later in Swaziland. He doesn't know the result at all. He listens to the game with other Peace Corps volunteers. Stanford kicks what appears to be the winning field goal with four seconds left. He's so excited. He finally has gotten to know about the result. Stanford wins the big game and then keeps listening to the broadcast. And three minutes later, learns actually that Cal won the big game. He found that out a month later. Can you imagine these days with ESPN uh, and the Internet? Uh, social media, yeah. In social media, the results would be known worldwide with, with, within seconds. And the clip of the most, maybe the most stirring play in the history of football would be everywhere. And it would be millions, you know, billions of views. Yeah. And, and as you said, Andy, that game was not televised live. So, and there was no instant replay. There was no, uh, you know, was he down or not? Let's look at the uh, the replay on the scoreboard. So when the game ended, um, very few fans understood exactly what had happened. In fact, Joe Cap, the old Vikings quarterback who was the rookie catch coach for Cal that year, he ran off the field and didn't know who on his team had scored the winning touchdown. Such a unique event. And I think we need to start with the genesis of your idea because it has, as I've said, lived in lore, obviously Stanford and Cal fans, but this is bigger than that. People know the play. People heard about it. People talk about it. And when you see NFL, college, even high school games, at least when I do on TV, and it's one of those end of the, even end of the half, but end of the game and all the laterals, you often hear the reference, could this be Cal Stanford? Um, yeah, where's where's the trombone player? Yeah, where's that's right. Where's the band, Stanford band? And I should mention you. You know, you haven't mentioned yet. You were cert- you were a member of Stanford band, not at that at that game, and you know the trombone player who's well featured in the book. But talk to us about why write this book. And for the people that don't know, Tyler's written many books on politics. One about his father that I'll let you mention. Great writer for the New Orleans Times Picayune, the advocate, Baton Rouge. Um, tell us about the genesis of this book. I was fortunate to be able to go to college in my hometown. I grew up in Palo Alto, and as a boy in Palo Alto, me and my, my dad and my sisters used to go to Stanford football games. So when I was, I grew up as a Stanford football fan, and then as I said, I was fortunate to be able to go to school there, play in the band, graduated with you in June of 1982. So uh, what happened then that November afternoon at Memorial Stadium, uh, now 40 years ago, it just kind of stayed with me because of my feelings about Stanford and having been in the band and so many of the people uh, who were on the field, uh, either in the band or on the football team. You know, I had watched the football players play John Elway and, and knew a lot of the band members. So um, in 2016, I got the idea when I, I met up by accident with a Cal grad. Um, and as you know, 
um, we're absolutely rivals uh, against Cal. We want to beat them on the field, but we don't hate them. It's not one of those uh, rivalries where you just can't stand the other one. I think you may agree, Andy, that we, we don't like USC, uh, <laughs> but we don't have that same feeling about Cal. So anyway, I, I meet up with this Cal guy, never met him before. He learns about that I'm a Stanford guy, and he starts giving me crap about the 1982 big game. And my daughter is there, and she has no idea why what he and I are talking about because he starts giving me crap. I start giving him crap as a Cal guy. I say, you're such a weenie, which is what we used to call the, right. the Cal uh, students. And uh, so as my daughter, who was then 14, I then uh, showed her the video uh, an hour later when we were back to where we were staying uh, of, the, of the play. And, and not for the first time, I got – tears in my eyes as I watched it and I thought dang this really hits home with me I gotta write a book on this and it turned out that no one else had had, had uh, ever written a book on again the craziest finish in college football history and so now uh, six years later um, five laterals and a trombone has just been published and tell us I, I was I was um, astonished when you talked about how many interviews you did uh, the forewords are written by John Elway, as you mentioned before, and Ron Rivera, the coach of the Washington Commanders, that everyone who follows NFL knows, but he was a linebacker on that team, and you got great interviews with them. But the extent of your of your copious interviewing process for this book, explain how many and how long and all that. Yeah, so... Andy, the play lasted 21 seconds. So how do you write a book about something that lasted 21 seconds? Uh, and also people know the result. So right. um, you'll remember the old Columbo TV show. Remember that one? Yeah, Peter Falk. Yeah. So the opening scene, as you remember, you know, it gave away a whodunit, right? So after that, the mystery was not who had done it, but how is it that, that Peter Falk playing Columbo would figure it all out? And in the same way, I thought, well, if I can have good enough details um, that the reader will want to turn the page to find out what happens next, uh, even though they know the outcome. So how do I get those details? And so it, it was interviewing 375 people and copying 1,500 newspaper articles of the 1982 season for Cal and Stanford from nine Bay Area newspapers. And Everybody had a little anecdote or little piece at least to offer to me. Obviously, John Elway was a very important interview and gave me more. Uh, but I interviewed five of the of the all five surviving officials, including the, the two guys who had the key decision whether to uh, blow the whistle on the cow guy uh, who had the ball during the final kickoff. And they're not doing so then unleashed the play. Uh, I interviewed uh, 21 of the 22 players on the field during the final kickoff, mm. um, the, the 22nd guys in prison. Um, Stanford's final drive, I mentioned earlier, Elway completed an amazing pass, kept the drive going. I interviewed uh, just all the players on the field except two during that final drive because I want to put you in the locker room. I want to put you on the field. And then there's amazing stories about what happened after the game. So, And also these great backstories like Joe Cap like Ron Rivera, like of the guys who handled the ball and including the trombone player who ended up, uh, my buddy Gary, ended up uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> well, it's amazing. And, and you're talking about it. And I think people are wondering, wow, you got a whole book out of those 21 seconds. You just referenced it. But as someone who's reading it now, it's just 
an amazing backdrop. You mentioned Joe Cap, his entire story, where he ends up at the coach of Cal in his rookie year there. The whole story of John Elway's recruitment to Stanford. John Elway, people don't know, a baseball player at Stanford. People don't know Stanford players did not eat with just football players. They were mixed in the school. It's very, uh, very mixed compared to other schools. And it's just a different time and place in college sports back then. Um, you talk about the, the, the hoaxes of, of stealing the axe, both the Stanford side and the Cal side. The axe, as people are, know about their, their own rivalries in college sports, there's usually like a trophy. Uh, and this one goes back and forth with the winners, but there's so many hoaxes. So I, I just want to sort of acknowledge that you. this is a lot more than those 21 seconds. There's a lot of background that takes you back behind the play. Yeah, I, I really think it's a, it's, a, it's a great sports story. Obviously, it's especially a great story for college football fans. And as you mentioned, I get, I, I get into the pageantry of college football, the, the hijinks between students of both schools, the kind of stuff that you don't have in, uh, in the pros. And, uh, you know, I meant to mention also, Andy, among the 375 people I interviewed were the two KZSU broadcasters for Stanford, the two guys who were there for the Stanford student and radio station. And perhaps a year later, if that happened a year earlier, uh, you might have been the guy calling the game for the uh, KCSU at Stanford, right? Yeah, that was my time. That was my job. And I loved it. It sort of fueled my passion to get into sports after college. All right. So what about the play and the knees? You know, in today's world, there'd be uh, slow, super slow-mo on all the laterals to see if the knee was down. Did you get anything out of the Cal players, kind of like hindsight? Yeah, kind of my knee was down, but don't tell anyone or the officials or anything like that. Yeah, so clearly the, the, the Cal players, uh, they're very, very happy with the result. Uh, no debate at all. Um, so I interviewed, again, all the 11 Stanford players who are on the field for that final kickoff. Um, kind of got a variety of reactions. I think to a man, they all believe that Stanford won the game, that the referees cost him the game. And at the key point, the Cal uh, ball carrier on that kickoff was down. Um, interestingly, enough, some of the, the those Stanford players on that kickoff have moved on. Uh, they're kind of actually kind of happy to have been part of uh, a history-making play. Others are still bitter. They, 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 they you know, it was hard to get them to talk to me. And they don't like people bringing up what happened four yeah. years ago. Tell us about Elway. I know he was the white whale interview that you finally got. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, I did a terrific interview with John. Uh, um, you know, I guess, I don't know. Did you get, did you know him at all at Stanford? Because I certainly just did to, not. You know, to say hi. And we did a couple of things at KZSU with him. So just in that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, he was really good to, we, we went over his, his, there were some things I wanted to ask about his background growing up, um, going from uh, Pullman, Washington to Southern California, where he then blossomed as a quarterback and then became the number one recruit in the country and, and Stanford was able to get him. And then I was, uh, you know, I wrote a whole chapter on this key game where uh, as a senior, uh, as a junior, he played uh, against his dad's team and, and the defense that his dad's team employed to stop him. And so he talked about that. And then he also talked about uh, we went over that final drive by Stanford uh, at length. And uh, we just showed, we looked at the video that's available online. It's not a great quality, 
Yeah. Um, but uh, so it was very cool where we went over it play by play. And I sort of felt like I was doing film study with a Hall of Fame quarterback. And so I'm very grateful to, uh, to John Elway for, for giving me all that time. And then that he agreed to write one of the forwards for five laterals and a trombone. What other interviews really stick out to you? So the Stanford coach that day, as you remember, Andy, was a guy named Paul Wigan. Uh, he was um, Stanford All-American in, in the 50s. And he, I'll never forget the story that he told me about growing up, um, getting a summer job that his dad or dad made him take in the Central Valley of California. He, you know, he lived on a farm and he had to take uh, 10,000 bricks a day off of a conveyor belt in 100 degree weather. Mm. And he kept having to... to pivot and turn uh, to, to take those bricks off to off of a conveyor belt and put them onto a, something else. And, you know, it's just terrible, terrible work. He made a dollar and 17 and a half cents an hour or $9 and 40 cents a day. Uh, but it strengthened his hands and it strengthened his core. And it had clearly played a key role in him becoming a terrific football player first at Stanford and then he was on the Cleveland Browns dur uh, during Jim Brown's era there. And so learning about Paul Wigan's story, I just thought was interesting. And I'll just tell you one other quick thing, which was I, I kept hearing about a guy named Gary Plummer, who was an undersized uh, nose guard for Cal, that, that he had this great pre-snap awareness. So, you know, I, I thought I knew something about football, but but I wanted to drill down. So I had the coach explain to me exactly what what is it that he meant with Gary Plummer's pre-snap awareness. And so Plummer would come up to the line of scrimmage and he could note the little tells like in poker, which way the lineman might be leaning or whether he's leaning extra hard on his hand that might indicate that it was a run or, or he'd do something that might indicate a pass. And these little tells that, that Plummer would pick up, even though he was undersized, he was a terrific player for Cal that 1982 season. Wow. And tell us a little bit more about interviewing Ron Rivera. That guy uh, seems to, just from the moment he's set foot in the NFL, at least, just seems like a class act. He is an absolute class act. You know, Andy, I've interviewed governors, presidents, congressmen. You know, my day job is to write about politics. Yeah. I had never reached out to an NFL head coach before, so I texted him um, and and the assistant coach on one of the assistant coaches on his team, Richard Rogers, was a guy who carried the ball uh, during the play. Um, he in fact, lateraled it twice. So I was able to get to Ron Rivera thanks to Richard Rogers. But so I texted Ron Rivera, um, you know, with really no great hope that I'd hear from him. And, and two minutes later, he texts me back and, and wants to know when he, when when we can talk. Wow. And and he has been just terrific. And you really see that the values that he learned growing up from his parents. His dad was uh, uh, um, immigrants, uh, dad had been in the army and just a guy who really, really lives his life kind of by the traditional code of wanting to treat people um, the way you'd want to be treated and just has not forgotten where he has come from. So as you said, just a, just a quality guy. Is the book out now, Tyler? Yeah, it was published uh, exactly a week ago. And how can people get it? Sure, people can get it um, certainly at Amazon.com, going to their local bookstore, or if, or if people want a signed copy, uh, they can get it from me at TylerBridges.com. They can order again from me at TylerBridges.com. 
and sort of tell us a, a little, and I can add to this as well, why a sports fan or even a, a business fan or entertainment fan who's not a Stanford fan or a Cal fan would want to read this? What happened 40 years ago at Memorial Stadium was the wildest, craziest finish in the history of college sports and maybe just in about in any sport. Games are important, I think, for us because they are such an intrinsic part of our lives and the competition between players, it ultimately it's about the basics of, I think, of human life and players on both sides uh, of the two teams wanting to win this big, big game for them. Again, it's called the big game. And there's just such great backstories that, that, that are that of, of the different people involved. So I, I think it's a story that just is it's, it's really for the ages for really any sports fan. But again, especially somebody who is a college football fan. Yeah. And here we are in mid-November, the college football season's reaching a crescendo and upcoming is the Cal Stanford big game, as well as all the, you know, the Ohio State, Michigan and Auburn, Alabama. And I think it's a real testament to what a rivalry can do, especially with these completely unique circumstances. And as we started, yeah, it, yeah as we started this, yeah. interview, it's just, you'll never see this again, where it's not recorded a million times and something like this exists only in people's imagination. Yeah. People talk about the keep the kick six game of Auburn, Alabama or, or the flutie toss. Yeah. Uh, incredible plays right but somebody can throw another amazing touchdown pass or something like that but you know to have the all these laterals and the guy <laughs> final that runs through the stanford band and then runs over the trombone player people don't know what has happened there's no replay that will never happen again it will never happen again <clears throat> and, and, and at any level at any level pop warner <laughs> it'll never happen again <laughs> Tyler, this was so great. Um, please get the book, Five Laterals and a Trombone. Um, this, you can't have this one. It's my special signed copy. TylerBridges.com, Amazon, wherever you get your books. And it's a, it's a special, special moment, not only in college sports, but in all the sports. Well, Tyler, Andy, I, given, our, given our longtime friendship, which began at Stanford, it's special <laughs> to be on your show. Special indeed. And, and we should say we are recording this on election day and Tyler is a political reporter. So uh, I'm glad that there's, we're getting you in the calm before the storm tonight. Yeah. The, the real work begins on election night. Yeah. Thanks so much, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thank, thank you. Yeah, that was great. I hope you enjoyed that. I brought on a friend, but it's important for this college football season to think about, Oh my God, what happened 40 years ago this week, 40 years ago. And it's the 125th anniversary of the big game. So this is college football lore. As we talked about off air, maybe there'll be a book one day about the Miami-Boston uh, College play of Doug Flutie and the toss. Maybe the pick six, kick six with Auburn, Alabama. But this is coming, and I just heard the ESPN's doing a documentary on it. So get you ready for the big game and your big game all over the country. Follow me on Twitter, Andrew Brandt, Instagram, Andrew Brandt, too. I do Reels, newsletter, andrew-brandt.com, Sports Business League, andrew-brandt.com slash SBL. Thanks to producers Brian Neal, Jack Connell, musical producer Sam Brandt, and thanks to you. Hope you enjoy the podcast, share it with a friend, give us a rating. I would really appreciate that. We'll see you next week on another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.